Today's conversation is with Nicole Martin, Executive Director of Trauma Healing at the American Bible Society. The topic, Equipping Churches in Trauma Healing. Today's conversation is brought to you by Christian Community Credit Union, where churches can realize their vision with God-honoring financial solutions. The credit union is a purpose-driven financial partner where your money helps advance God's kingdom. Visit mycccu.com slash NAE to learn more. That's mycccu.com slash NAE. The credit union is an equal opportunity lender. Each account is insured up to $250,000. By member's choice, this institution is not federally insured. And now, let's join in. I'm Walter Kim, here with Nicole Martin, Executive Director of the Trauma Healing at the American Bible Society. Before this role, she served as Director of U.S. Ministries for ABS. She is a former management consultant with Deloitte Consulting and served as an Executive Minister at the Park Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Nicole is the author of two books, Made to Lead, Empowering Women for Leadership, and Leaning In, Letting Go, a Lenten Devotional. She holds degrees from Vanderbilt University, Princeton Theological Seminary, and Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where she currently teaches courses in ministry and leadership development. Nicole is a member of the NAE board and the board of trustees for Gordon College. She is quite impressive. Thank you for joining us, Nicole. That is so kind. Thank you so much for having me. So for your undergrad studies at Vanderbilt, I note that you had three majors, human and organizational mm -hmm. development, French and education studies. So I'd love to hear about the journey that led you from there to Bible engagement ministry. <laughs> yes, yeah, some would just call that confusion. However, <laughs> um, we call that the hand of God, God steering us along the way. Um, when I entered college, I had already come with a few credits because of the classes that I took in high school. Um, but I knew I had a penchant for international studies. I had studied French. I had traveled. I loved traveling. I knew that I wanted to work with people, hence the human and organizational development. And I knew that there was a portion of me that, that cared about seeing people develop and grow. And that was the educational studies. And all of these things kind of played a role in my bigger sense of call, which I discovered actually um, my last year of, of um, undergrad. It was the sense that I felt called to impact and transform the lives of others. And it was because of my relationship with God that I knew the only way I could do that was through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when I was in undergrad, I used to lead this Bible study and nobody came. <laughs> it was like literally a Bible study with just me and um, cookies that I made in the dorm and no one showed up. And then my senior year, they asked me to do, to do the Bible study again. I was like, no way. No one showed up last year. But they insisted, please, please, please. So I, I did it. And 33 women came and became part of this Bible study in college. And I knew through that experience that there was no other calling or cause that I wanted to dedicate my life to outside of helping to see and steward the transformation of lives through the Holy Spirit by God's word. And, and somehow that path um, through consulting and through seminary and through serving at a church for a number of years landed me at American Bible Society. That's compelling. 
So the American Bible Society, it's focused on scripture engagement mm -hmm. in the U.S., but it also has major initiatives like the one you lead on trauma healing. Mm -hmm. So, so how does scripture engagement connect with trauma healing? Yeah. So American Bible Society has been around for 204 years, started in the U.S. by the church and for the church. And over these years, um, we've, been, we've been connected with a number of global agencies, including the United Bible Societies, which is a, a, the largest gathering of global Bible societies across the world. And it's through our connections with the United Bible Societies that we're able to do translation and to be part of this beautiful translation effort that's happening around the world. Um, but at its core, our mission is to, to create access to God's word so that every person can experience the life-changing power of God's word. And we came to trauma healing through an interesting series of events about 10 years ago. 10 years ago, our now president, uh, Robert Briggs, received, um, was part of a conversation with one of our coworkers at that time who received a call from their parents in the Congo. And there was a great deal of warfare happening in the Congo, and um, a number of people came together to uh, make sure that this family had what they needed to survive this crisis. And then there was a trip organized to the Congo shortly thereafter. And um, a number of people, including some of our, our members of the American Bible Society, were there in the Congo. And they noticed that there was a distinct difference. Something was happening. That people who had suffered deep, deep loss, had gone through deep, deep trauma, were different. They were changed. They were whole. And after really discovering what was happening, these were people who were engaging in scripture through a program that we now call Trauma Healing. So this trauma healing ministry was started and, and kind of continued through the hands of missionaries. But 10 years ago, American Bible Society got involved. And it was, it was at this point, 10 years ago, when we re recognized that when people engage with God's word, there is healing. And as we do this great work of distribution and translation, there's another layer of scripture engagement that happens through healing. And that is how American Bible Society got involved with trauma healing as we know it today. Describe the work of the Trauma Healing Institute in more detail. Yeah. So the Trauma Healing Institute is a very large institute. It's made up and stewarded by an alliance of a number of, of organizations. The role that American Bible Society plays in the Trauma Healing Institute is as one of the alliance partners. So we help to steward um, primarily the central program, which is called Healing the Wounds of Trauma, How the Church Can Help. And it's through this program that individuals at churches and organizations are trained to be facilitators of a program and of really of an experience where we help churches create healing groups. And I got to tell you, if there, is, if there is any need for the church today and, and any need for the church in general, it is that the church becomes a place of God's healing. And so the Trauma Healing Institute equips churches and organizations to ground themselves in biblical principles with mental health practices to create healing communities wherever they're needed. So a person doesn't actually have to have uh, psychological counseling in exactly. order to be a part of this. They, you can just sign up for it and get training yes. in order to engage in this kind of work. 
That's right. And the training is intentional. This is a training that was designed by mental health practitioners, counselors, psychiatrists, and psychologists. This was designed also by pastors and leaders, so in, and by missionaries as well. And the goal is not that we would speed someone through a process and instantly they can heal wounds. The goal is to take people through the process of their own healing and to expose them to what it means to help facilitate God's healing in the lives of others. And for that reason, that process is, you know, it's a, a number of days, it's a number of hours, and it requires a certification. And I think that's one of the, the joys of this program. When you go back to its inception, um, the hearts of those that, that we encountered in the Congo and other African countries, those hearts were healed by intentional time-tested practices. And this is healing through scripture in community. So that, that's, what, that's what the training is about. How do we steward God's healing through the Holy Spirit, by way of God's word, in community with others. So you described the inception uh, yeah. of this program in a rather traumatic experience. Yeah. Genocide, of course, mm -hmm. natural disasters occur, domestic mm -hmm. abuse occurs. Mm -hmm. Obviously, these are events in which yep. people incur deep wounds of soul yes. and spirit. We get that. Yes. But what about our situation now? Would you put COVID in this list of events that results in trauma? And how yes. so? Yes, it absolutely can be. And, you know, the way that we define trauma, we define trauma as a heart wound. And a heart wound is, is any time that our hearts are overwhelmed with intense fear, helplessness, or horror. And this can be in the face of death. It can be in the face of a serious injury or um, sexual trauma. It can also be whenever our hearts are traumatized, when we hear of someone else's experience. So now enter COVID. We have death through the loss of loved ones. We have signs and symptoms of PTSD. I was reading in Psychology Today that the psychological impact of COVID will be felt for many, many years, even generations after this. Um, the fear that happens when people enter crowds will last for a very long time. The, the fear and the horror of what happens when a loved one dies and you must attend a virtual funeral or you cannot say goodbye in the same ways, all of the things that come from that. And again, there's a ripple effect of trauma from COVID. It's job loss. It's the exposure of some systematic challenges and brokenness, even as it shows up in racial trauma. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. So while COVID itself is not traumatic, what it has um, kind of brought on the onset of this pandemic and how our societies, our communities, our churches, and our families are dealing with this brings a number of a ripple effect of, a ripple effect of events that can really be processed as traumatic events. You really are describing a situation in which if we take scripture seriously, yes. then it has to engage with these issues because yeah. this, this is where people are living right now. That's right. That's right. So what, what are some of the consequences uh, when traumatized people interact mm. with each other? Yeah, well, I mean, we all know that saying, uh, hurt people hurt people. Mm. And I was just having um, a conversation with a group of leaders, you know, and what comes up when we talk about trauma and healing and the church is when the church becomes the place of trauma. And how do we navigate a place that should be a place of healing when trauma sometimes happen within, happens within that context? And, and I've heard a lot, you know, this idea of church hurt, but at its core, the church is made up of people, 
people who are broken, people who have gone through layers of trauma themselves. And when people who do not recognize their trauma, who have heart wounds, don't recognize that and interact with others, it is so easy for us to wound others. Um, we just did, um, a, a, we've had a number of experiences like this. And uh, I've just read a couple of testimonials from a group of people who went through training, one of which was a pastor who went through a training through our Trauma Healing Institute. And he said, going through this training helped him to see God's word differently, but also helped him to see that some of the wounds he'd been carrying were actually wounds and that it was okay, that he wasn't put aside by God, that this was not, um, God didn't see that as a fault, but God saw that as something that even he could bring to God. And this revelation, hearing his testimony reminded me of the number of leaders and pastors who have um, coached ourselves through our trauma, but never really dealt with it. And the danger that happens when leaders who have trauma don't have a space to process that, and then we try to lead others, it can be a very scary place. And we can wound others, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, which really just, again, puts pressure on what does it mean for us to lead in whole and healthy ways? And part of that is not just creating institutions for people to go through trauma healing and to have healing groups, but for ourselves as leaders to go through a process and to have groups that we uh, can go to to find healing and to encounter Christ in powerful ways. Mm. It reminds me of the very powerful uh, motif that Henry Nouwen would come yes. back to often, of the, that we are wounded healers. That's correct. Uh, and that the call of pastoral ministry is the call mm -hmm. of people who themselves carry wounds, yes. but in that woundedness have an ability and a sympathy and empathy, and, yeah. and therefore in the end power to mm -hmm. minister meaningfully. But it, it's often the case um, that recognizing trauma is difficult, Absolutely. but dealing with it sometimes seems to have stigma. Mm -hmm. Do you sense that people have a difficult time accepting that they've mm -hmm. had a traumatic experience and mm -hmm. even need traumatic, trauma healing? Absolutely. Um, a couple of examples come to mind. One is um, in terms of just general culture and the other is um, on individual levels. Um, on the cultural level, we have partners around the world. And after running the trauma healing process in, with partners in Latin America, they came back to us. And remember, the title of the book that we use is called Healing the Wounds of Trauma. Well, those who had worked through this program in the Latin American context said, listen, this word trauma doesn't work for people. It's a turnoff. When they see trauma, they think those extremely traumatized. They think extreme poverty. They think uh, violent um, people who have survived violent attacks or things that have happened to them that are very drastic. So they said, we need to change the name from trauma to heart. So in the Latin American context, the resource that we use there is called Healing the Wounds of the Heart. And it opens the conversation so that those who really need this resource will actually be willing to approach it. Even on our own cultural context, in certain cultures here in the U.S., trauma is stigmatized. Mental health is stigmatized. There are very few communities, for example, in Black churches, there are very few people who would have a, a mental health therapist because the idea of mental health is still kind of stigmatized. People would rather bring their, their concerns to the altar than to bring their concerns to a therapist. Um, so we, we, because we care so deeply about healing, the, the calling of the leader is 
is how do you notice what those barriers are and overcome them? If it means changing words, then that's, that's what we need to do. If it means changing language, then, then obviously that's what we need to do. And in some cases, it might mean changing even the way that we talk about the narrative of healing. That healing is not just for the blind and the deaf. Healing is for every broken heart. And I think this is a beautiful theological opportunity for us to see ourselves not as those who have been redeemed and are now perfect, but to see ourselves as those who are broken and are regularly in need of the Savior, are regularly in need of healing, that our confession, even of sin, is not a one-time, you know, one-and-done, that this, this is a theology of healing that helps us to see that our lives are constantly in need of, of the healing power of God. And that, I think, is one of the ways that we can overcome the stigma, but the stigma is related to mental health, it's related to culture, and it's even related to how we talk about our experiences. So what are the steps or stages that uh, the Healing Institute pursues in this process of healing? Yeah. Well, we have what we call an arc of healing, the trauma healing arc. And it starts with suffering. And this is the process of understanding and naming your suffering. And this, again, is one of the reasons why we have to get over the stigma, because all of us have gone through some type of heart wound. Every individual that has lived for a certain period of time has, has had some experience of suffering, even if it's indirect, what we've experienced from others. So in the trauma healing experience arc, we start with suffering and we go through suffering to being heard, to grieving. And for those who have a context of understanding the, the, the pathway of grieving, you know that it's not a start and stop. It's an up and down. It's acceptance and denial. And it's all of these elements. So that's included in the grieving. And then there's an element of lament. And this, you know, this is the element I'm super excited about, because if anybody knows the language of lament, it's the church. I mean, we have a whole book called Lamentations in our Bibles. Most of the Psalms are about lament. And so we go through this process of lamenting. And then at the top of this arc is what we call bringing pain to the cross. This is a powerful moment in our program where participants have a physical engagement. They perform an activity where they're bringing their pain to the cross. I have seen pastors and leaders, I have seen participants and lay people go through this exercise, maybe even enter this program thinking this isn't for me, and they get to this point and there is an awesome breakthrough. I've heard stories of people say, I felt a physical release when there was a time of bringing the pain to the cross. And then after that, we go through forgiving, we go through rebuilding, and this arc ends on resilience because the goal for leading someone through um, trauma to a place of healing is that they might develop the, the muscles they need to survive trauma when it happens again, not if, but when it happens again. And then, of course, how we lead others through that process has its own arc as well. So as we've been discussing <clears throat> trauma, you've consistently pointed in a variety of directions to recognize that we all need heart healing in some way. So we've yeah. talked about COVID and the need for heart healing mm -hmm. uh, within this time period. And of course, during this time period, we've had some pretty traumatic things happen with yeah. um, our encounter uh, in the issue of race. And mm -hmm. how would you assess the trauma people may be experiencing in the connections to videos of violence against yes. black Americans, like, like yes. the one with George Floyd and then the ensuing protests. Yes. Well, this is, you know, this kind of trauma, um, in some ways it can trigger trauma. Uh, 
So there, there's a level of trauma that happens when we see someone die on video. That is a traumatic experience that people will live through. Some people had nightmares about it. Some people couldn't sleep. Some people felt a general anxiety and restlessness related to that. But for others, and for a large uh, majority of Black Americans, seeing George Floyd on video was a triggering event. It triggered trauma that they had experienced in other parts of their lives. And here's the hardest part about trauma in marginalized communities. For most um, uh, marginalized communities, and these are communities that have experienced oppression over generations, there's a certain normalization of trauma that happens that can be equally as painful. This is um, the understanding, well, you know, this happens all the time. So this, what happened here is no different from what's happened to my grandparents and my great grandparents. And, be, and, and in some ways that's, that's been helpful because when trauma is normalized, then we've, we've already developed the muscles and the communities to help us make it through. And for many black Americans, that community is the black church. We come to church and we are part of these communities where we can lament, where we can grieve together, where there's a collective understanding and it is God's word that gives us strength to make it through. Um, but at the same time, when that trauma is normalized, we kind of tend not to attend to it. So it becomes just a part of life. It becomes a way that we, we learn how to live with this limp. And we never, we never question, can this limp be healed? And so that, that has been um, an interesting process. And, and with American Bible Society, we have um, a program called Generational Trauma, which allows Black Americans and all other Americans to explore trauma related to race. Because while we see Black Americans experiencing this traumatic event and being re-traumatized from trauma that's happened related to race across generations, we also recognize that all Americans have some trauma related to race. That trauma shows up in um, an implicit bias, not recognizing why it is that we feel a little nervous or scared when a person of a certain complexion walks by. That trauma shows up in the friendships that we have, in the neighborhoods where we move, in the types of education that we pursue. Um, so this generational trauma curriculum is designed to facilitate dialogue and healing in, across racial groups. But for sure, there is a certain amount of trauma that, that kind of is resurfaced whenever there is a traumatic race event. And this is why it's important for, for institutions to come alongside churches. Because if the Black church is a place where Black Americans seek healing, then how do we equip Black churches to bring even greater levels of healing um, so that they can not just make it, but really thrive? You know, in this time that we're in, it's often paralyzing to think about what, what can I do? Is there any yeah. next step? And what yes. you've just given to us is a very powerful next step. It's a practical next step, but mm -hmm. yet it's a next step that not is merely in the level of action, but um, yeah. reaches down into the emotion and places where we live in very, right. very deep ways. And often we'll feel that trauma and feel paralyzed. So thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So are you describing then trauma that is experienced in a different way? So when we compare the trauma uh, that comes after a natural disaster, something related to a singular event, versus something that's related to experiences over decades or as you've mm -hmm. described generationally is there a different approach to that different kind of trauma or are mm. there similar principles yeah so our team reminds me of this all the time that whether you experienced this trauma 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago 
its symptoms show up in our lives in very similar ways. And if you go back to this idea of triggering events, sometimes seeing something, smelling something, hearing a certain song or, or the likeness of someone can bring back trauma that happened many years ago and it can feel just as fresh. So the approach to trauma really is not limited to when the trauma happened. The approach is very much the same. Some differences may show up in, in how people have processed their trauma in the past. Um, for some people, they may have to unlearn a few things in order to take on some new skill sets to manage th through their trauma. Um, but for the most part, the process is still, still the same. And the brain and the heart is an interesting, I mean, both our organs are interesting, uh, you know, things in our lives, but also our emotions are interesting. That, that, that it's kind of, you know, this trauma can be a, a timeless thing. That our emotions can process things as if they were happening right now. I mean, think about like the last thing that happened to you that was just really traumatic that left you either in fear or in terror or it left you with sleepless nights, thinking deeply about that moment can make you physically feel like you're going through it again. And that's why it's the time of, of when it happened really doesn't matter when it comes to the process for healing. We're in a season where emotions are running high with COVID, yes. racial unrest, economic distress. Yeah. Do you think we're about to see a collective mental health breakdown? Are people going to be okay coming out of this? Mm. You know, I would like to say that that people will people will be okay. I mean, I think there is a certain humanistic resilience that we have seen across numerous um, global and national incidences. I mean, whether that is looking at the trauma of warfare across the world, whether that's looking at the yellow fever in the United States, you know, centuries ago, or whether that's even looking at individuals and families and communities that have made it through traumatic events. Um, the strength of human nature says, yes, we will make it through. The question is, how will we be on the other side of this? Will we be more in tune to God and to the lives of others or less in tuned? And what I've, what I've observed even in my own experience is that trauma and crisis can sometimes call, cause us to go inward. Like um, we used to call it when a, when a college student wouldn't show up to class because something ridiculous had happened, they lost homework or they didn't study or whatever, we would call that turtling. It's like when the turtle kind of pokes its head in the shell. And sometimes trauma and crisis can cause people to turtle, to turn in on themselves, to poke their head back in the shell, and to ignore the things happening around. It's a protective mode. But for the believer in Christ, the question should be, when trauma happens, will we turtle and turn in? Or will we reach out and will we become the, 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 the place of healing for the world? My hope and my prayer is that the church will become even more the place of healing for the world, more in these times than ever before. Because while a, the glass half full may say people are attending church less, they may be reading their Bibles less, their discouragement, their anxiety, their fear is higher, and therefore their trust and faithfulness in God is lower. That is one perspective. But another perspective is people are more in need of the goodness and the grandeur and the healing power of God now than ever before. 
I mean, we could either see this as a space where uh, it's a desert and there is no water, or we can see this as a wide open field, a great harvest of people who are longing to encounter Christ. I remember, I actually heard a fascinating story and someone shared this with me from the Fresh Expressions Ministry. He said there was a shoe salesman who got on an airplane to go to another country. He looked all around him on the airplane. He saw that nobody on the plane was wearing shoes. This particular shoe salesman says, oh my gosh, I'm going to the wrong country. Another shoe salesman gets on the same plane, going to the same country, looks all around, sees all these people around with no shoes on and says, oh my gosh, I'm going to make a fortune. <laughs> and I think, you know, the question for the church, when we think about the trauma that will happen, this ripple effect of trauma from moments like these, the question is, how do you see the field? Is it barren or is it full of harvest? Do you see people with no shoes on or do you see a harvest field of people waiting for the saving power of Christ? And I hope and pray that we as church members will not be salespeople, of course, but, but that we will see that God is saying, this is the harvest. These are the brokenhearted. These are the ones I've come to heal. And that we'd be willing to say, yes, Lord, send me. You have raised the challenge. You have raised the question. You've given us this compelling metaphor of, turtling. Mm -hmm. So um, give us some practical steps. How can churches engage and enter into this environment, uh, not as a desert, but as a wide open mm -hmm. field, a, a harvest? Mm -hmm. what, what does it mean for the church to enter into this? Yeah. I mean, I think the simplest thing that this means is that we've got to talk about who God is by way of God's healing. Sometimes the stigma of trauma and the stigma of pain and suffering happens because we don't have very many spaces in the church where we talk about pain and suffering. Sometimes our own theology of victory and triumphalism causes us to focus more on the resurrection and, and causes us to forget that there was a crucifixion before we get to resurrection. So I think that there is a space for churches to lean into the reality of the cross, that Christ had to suffer before there was victory, and that there will be seasons in the life of the church in all of our lives where we will suffer. Jesus did not say in this world, everything's going to be great. He said in this world, you will have trouble. So what does it mean for our churches to lean into and to really embrace what it means that we as believers will suffer and that we're not less Christian, we're not less holy or less faithful, we're not less mature when we do. So I think part of this is how do we talk about this moment? Do we talk about it as hurry up, let's get over this? Or do we talk about this as real pain, real suffering, real consequence that will affect all of us? And then where do we create spaces for people to engage with their pain? Um, for some churches, they already have counseling ministries. This is the time to amplify the resources of your counseling ministry, to put that on a pop-up on your webpage. If you need someone to talk to, we're here for you. Um, but in general, the greatest place of healing in the church is in community. And community shows up in a number of ways. For large churches, this is a small group. How do you turn your small group into a place of healing? Well, one of the first ways is to make room for the pain, to make room for people to say, I am not okay. And to equip the facilitators of those groups with the tools they need to guide people through that pain. Um, other people will have, you know, online engagement. And there are ways that you can bring healing through online engagement. You can lead people through a Bible engagement plan. You can engage people in what we call an online healing group. 
And one of the ways that we, American Bible Society, equips churches is we will help to train your facilitators. So if churches are saying, yeah, I'd love to create spaces for healing. I would love to have a community where people encounter the healing power of Christ, but I don't know how to start. Organizations like American Bible Society will help you to do that. And on our traumahealinginstitute.org page, if you go to the events, you will find practically a training session happening almost every week where you can send leaders and small group leaders and facilitators and choir rehearsal leaders and, you know, Bible study leaders to be trained so that they might also lead other people through healing groups. So, so just in short, I think it is about the way we talk about it, which happens usually from the pulpit. I think it's the spaces that we make for pain, which also includes making space for lament. And I think it's about the way that we equip ourselves to handle the pain when it's revealed. And ABS's trauma healing program is just one of those ways that people can be equipped. You have won awards for your preaching and it's really <laughs> evident to me why. And you've served as the executive pastor at the Park Church, which is a very significant church in North Carolina. Yeah. If you were going to preach a sermon on trauma healing, what scripture would you turn to? Oh my goodness. It's easier to say which scriptures don't <laughs> speak to <laughs> healing or what wouldn't you do that? Oh. I mean, if I had to be na- hammered down, first of all, it would have to be a series. It would have, you can't okay. just get it with one. Um, but I, I think it's beautiful to start with Isaiah, Isaiah 61. So, and, and I think it's important to start here because this is the portion that Jesus references when he preaches in the synagogue. So Isaiah 61, 1 is the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to do what? Preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives and release darkness, uh, release from darkness the prisoners. And then it goes on to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. But there's something about Isaiah recognizing that the Lord's favor comes with binding the brokenhearted. That is so powerful. And there's something so beautiful about Jesus looking in the eyes of those who sat around the synagogue and reading, um, I I suspect, reading with conviction, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's called me to do these things. And within that is to bind up the brokenhearted. I think that is so powerful because when we think about trauma, we think about wounding from the hands of man. And, but when we think about healing, we think about healing from the hand of God and how this kind of this natural and divine meat in the church, how that shows up in our lives, how that shows up by the way of the Holy Spirit, how that shows up by God's word, I think is a miraculous process. And if all of us were honest with ourselves, I think all of us would say yes, I have been one who is brokenhearted. I am a sinner. I am broken. And no matter what is happening in my life, I need the anointing of the Lord to help bind up this broken heart. Mm-hmm. And in the, you know, the reference that you use, this Henry Nouwen reference of the wounded healer, this is also very personal for the pastor and the leader. I cannot faithfully do these things for other people without recognizing my brokenness. I mean, my healing is a process, but the recognition of brokenness is what makes us a candidate for healing. And I, I, think, I think that would, I mean, we'd have to unpack it so much more, but I, w- I would probably start there. Whether it's for Bible engagement, city transformation, trauma healing, mobilizing people in churches, mm-hmm. that's been central to your work. Yeah. Um, how has gift- God gifted you for this kind of work of mobilizing? Mm, that's a great question. Um, 
And it's a hard question because I think sometimes it's hard to tell your specific gifts from the gifts that God has given everyone. I mean, I, I see my gift as similar to all people that I am called to make disciples in the same way that Jesus commissioned the disciples and commissioned all of us to go into all nations and make disciples. I see that as a fundamental part of my calling. And I think what makes me uniquely equipped for this is that God, by his grace, allowed me to begin this mobilization process early. I mean, I can remember, <laughs> I can remember being in middle school, um, and I'm laughing because I was such a nerd in middle school, but I wasn't just any nerd. I wasn't just like a book nerd. I was a Bible nerd. People knew me as the Jesus girl. And I look back on that and think how unique it was. At the time, I just thought it was what we do. I can remember being in the bathroom and there was one of my friends in the stall. She's crying her eyes out. I can remember knocking on the door, asking her if she's okay, having a conversation and saying to her, do you know that Jesus loves you? <laughs> do you know that, that, that uh, Jesus cares about you? And it was from those conversations that I often found myself as a child kind of talking about God in groups with people. And then when I fast forward to that college experience that I was telling you about, I think there was something in me by that time that knew the one-on-one -on -one conversations were good, but the core of, of making disciples is to equip other people to make disciples. That my, my legacy shouldn't just be about how many disciples I've made, it should be about how many replicating disciples I've made. That's the core of Jesus' ministry. Not that he had the 12 or that he had, you know, the, the 72. It is the fact that Jesus had those who made other disciples. It, you know, Acts, the, what makes room for the thousands coming to uh, Christ through Acts is Jesus spending time with the 12. And I think that became a core part of my calling in college that I realized I want to make disciples who make disciples. And it's through that, that when I went and served at the Park Church, I was leading discipleship ministries, that when I was doing young adult ministry, I was trying to uh, equip leaders. Even in my doctoral program, this understanding of what does it mean to develop leaders who make disciples, that became a very core part of who I am. And, and it actually becomes one of the joys of what I do. I get most excited when someone that God has allowed me to walk alongside says, oh my gosh, look at who I brought to Christ or look at who I'm now mentoring and training because of the time that we spent together. That just, that just lights my light. <laughs> what is your hope for the church during these challenging times? What final word would you have for us uh, about the hope that the church can have in these times? Yeah. I think my hope for the church is that the church will continually deepen a commitment to prepare the bride until Christ comes for us again. And in these interesting times, this preparation process means sometimes changing what we used to do and doing things differently so that the body can be prepared. Not so that we can get likes, not so that we can expand viewers, not so that our branding as preachers will be expanded, though those things will happen um, and may happen and may not happen for everyone. But I think there's, there's got to be kind of um, a central focus that my job as part of the body of Christ, my job as the church of Jesus Christ is to be prepared until Christ comes for us again. And one of the things that I think 
you know, is, is God ordained by this crisis? I do not believe that God um, said now, you know, here's, here's COVID, deal with it. But I also believe that God is, in his sovereignty intervenes and redeems these moments. And one of the moments that I hope um, the church is able to kind of build upon is this idea of changing the method. Our method used to be in person. This was the way we made disciples. You come, you be, you're part of this group, and then you leave. But we've had to change the method. And, and I, I pray that, that we as a church can capitalize on the method without losing the goal. Our method is, it has to be different. It's got to be part virtual. When we, with, in some ways, it's going to be in person. In, in some ways, it's going to be part generational. It's not going to be just the youth or just the adults. It's going to be the household. In some ways, it's not going to be just domestic. It's going to be international as well. But I hope and pray that we don't lose sight of the goal. Our goal, like all of our callings, is to make disciples that make disciples. Our goal is to build up the body of Christ, to deepen the body of Christ um, so that we might remember that Jesus is coming again. And if we know anything now, we now know that nothing is permanent. Our plans are short-lived. We can plan for six months from now, but nobody really knows. Um, And so since we have that knowledge, maybe now we'll begin to remember we have a goal in sight. That as Christ comes again, what will the church look like? And on a, a more personal level, what will, what will my small group look like? What will my congregation look like? What will my family look like? And what will my own life look like? Because, you know, uh, growing up in a black church, there's that beautiful refrain. My grandmother used to remind me of it all the time. That is, you know, when he comes for us again, I just want to hear the words, well done. And I really, my hope for the church is that our efforts to make disciples who make disciples will be strong enough to strengthen the church so that when Christ comes, we will together hear those words, well done, because we've done what we've been asked to do and we haven't lost sight of that goal. Our guest on today's conversation has been Nicole Martin, Executive Director of Trauma Healing at the American Bible Society. I'm Walter Kim, and on behalf of us all, a very special thanks to Nicole. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.